Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning, Juliet First. So glad you are here again. Uh, it's great to have you here. By the way, my entire family is here, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm excited because I'm actually really nervous because they know things about me that you don't know and that you'll never know. And so to preach in front of them is really difficult, but I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, you've come at a great time. We are starting a new series today. Uh, we've had some great preaching over the last four weeks. I've had a break for the last four weeks. It's been fantastic, but we've had some really good preaching. And so we start a new series called The Good and beautiful community. Now, if you're new, you'll know that we have been through a series over the course of a year. We started with the good and beautiful God. Some of you remember this. We have mistruths that we've learned about God over our lifetime, that God is angry. He's kind of this retributive God who's after people and wants to punish you. Maybe that's the God you grew up with, that he was just there waiting for you to sin and wanted to punish you. And we learned that that's not really who God is at all. And we spent that time in the fall learning that about God. And once we learned everything there is to know about God. We started working on our lives after the new year. Um, we oft, often say this, that sin is doing something other than what you were designed to do. I don't care how you, you want to couch it or phrase it, but we realize that often we do things that we were never designed to do. And so we addressed everything from lust to um, avarice to consume. I mean, you name it, we addressed the mess of our lives. And I feel like it moved us in many ways to the better, the good, and beautiful life. And so today, we are starting the Good and Beautiful Community. And the reason why we want to do this is I think there is a major misunderstanding when it comes to our faith. And here's why. So often in our personal relationship with God, it is often about God and me. God and me. And what we want to help you understand it is it's really about God, me, and we. That's right. God, me, and we. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Some people will ask me often, they say, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And the answer to that is no, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. But I would also say this, it is nearly impossible to live as a Christian without a community that cares for you and nurtures you, loves you, and helps you. And here's the truth. Here's what I know about you and me is that often, whether you've committed your life to God for the first time or the hundredth time, at some point in your relationship, you are going to fall off the bandwagon. And you can't get back to where you need to be as long as it's just me. And so we want you to know this. We want you to know this. That we believe a, a personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. A personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to work through what it looks like to be a good and beautiful community. So would you pray for me before we begin this morning? Lord, we do give you thanks for this time where we can learn and grow and we can share together. I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open and that we would learn and have insights on better ways to live for you and for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I know that what I'm about to say next, you may disagree with. Some of you, many of you are smarter than I am. Some of you have degrees in English, and I understand that your uh, vernacular and that your understanding of the English language is far better than mine. And so, you know, we may disagree on what I'm about to say next, and that's okay. You're probably right. But have you ever experienced things in life that are odd and weird? Just downright odd and downright weird. I, I thought this was kind of weird. In Poland, I don't know if you know this, but they have banned Winnie the Pooh from playgrounds. They banned Winnie the Pooh from playgrounds. I don't know about you, but growing up, when I went to the playground, I never saw a Winnie the Pooh. Did you see Winnie the Pooh? I saw other kinds of Pooh, but not Winnie the Pooh. And I don't know about you, but I find that kind of odd. And here's what they've said. Here's what they've said about Winnie the Pooh, is that he is, quote, of dubious nature, of dubious nature, and is half naked. Now, I watched a lot of poo in my life, but I never really considered that he was of, quote, dubious nature and half naked. I just thought it was a bear who liked to eat honey. Like, that's just all I thought about poo. Well, this community said, he is no longer welcome here. He is unwholesome for our kids to be around. So they banned Winnie the Pooh. I think that's weird. I think that's odd. In Milan, I don't know if you know this, it's illegal for you to frown. You will be fined if you frown. And I just wonder, what if you encounter somebody on the street and they start punching you in the face? Are you supposed to smile about that? You walk out after a date and your girlfriend breaks up with you. Are you supposed to be smiling about that? Yeah, hon, this is really good. This is great, you know? I, I, I just don't understand it. Uh, really odd, really weird. I don't know if you know this either, but in Spain at one point, it was illegal for you to die. It was illegal for you to die. And here's why. They didn't have enough grave space. Uh, so I don't know if, you know, they mowed more lawns and created more. I don't know what they did, but I, I just thought about that. Like, okay, hang on, heart attack. I know you're ready to hit, but just, just hang on. Because I don't want to be fined when I'm dead. You know, it's like a debt collector calls you when you're dead. Who cares? I, mean, I can't pay it, you know. So anyway, those things to me are odd and weird. And my guess is you've had odd and weird experiences in people around you. Maybe you've got aunts or uncles or you've got that one friend. You know, they're just a bit different. They're really weird. And if you can't figure out who that person is, it's probably you. Um, that's what we like to say around here. Good chance it's probably you. We've had those things that are odd and weird. But then, this is where you may disagree. But then there are those things that make you in life go, hmm, hmm. And I think those things are peculiar. They're just a little bit peculiar. I know that, you know, when you look up uh, odd and weird, you would find the synonym of peculiar, but I think peculiar is just a little bit different because it's not blatantly obvious. Something that is peculiar almost looks like it's normal, but there's something different about it. It's similar in other ways, but there's just something different about it. Let me give an example to you. The other day, I was, I was at the gym, and I was up, um, up at the top end of the gym, and we were working out, and I looked down, and I noticed my car, where I had parked my car. And I was looking out, and I saw that I had parked it at the end. And as I was walking up, I look out, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that, is that my car? Because it is my car. That's where I parked, but it doesn't look like my car. And I didn't know this, but... Um, when I was up there looking at my car, it looked like it had a different front end to it. I'm like, this really doesn't make sense. Like, I think that's my car, but I'm not, it's like my car, but it's unlike my car. 
Well, little did I know that there was a Honda Accord that had parked like three or four spaces down, and I was seeing the reflection of the front end of that car in the mirror. And that front end of that car just so happened to be placed strategically on the front end of my car. And so there was a seamless, seamless uh, transition between this car's front end and the three-quarters back end of my car. And so it looked like one car, same color, but not the same year. It looked like a new car with an old front end. And I'm staring at it like this is really peculiar. And I had to stare at it because I couldn't figure it out. And I told my friend, hey, check this out. And he's like, yeah, it's interesting how the reflection of the glass changes your car paint. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not that at all. It's really peculiar. And I think that for us, oftentimes in our life, in our journey, in our faith, we struggle with this tension of what it means to be peculiar. Because often, often we are just normal or we're downright weird in our faith. Right? You've met normal people in their faith. You don't even know that they're Christians. You've been working with them. You've been parenting with them. You go to school with them, and you don't even know that they have faith until one day maybe they just tell you. But they're just normal people. But then there are the weird people that are Christians. You've met these people? Because you're already laughing, so I know that you know that's true. I, I, had, I had a guy come up to me once, and he's like, God has been speaking to me about you. I've never met this guy in my life. Walks up to me. God has been speaking to me about you. He wants me to pray for you. A dude starts praying. I'm like, Dude, I've, I've been talking to God, too. I'm pretty sure he didn't say what he said to you and what he said to me. This is not the same things. This guy's really weird. We used to live from, across from Westboro Baptist Church. You've met these people? If you haven't, they're weird, outrageous. They stand on the corners, tell people how much they hate them, tell them they're going to hell. Really odd and weird. And I wonder, I wonder if... For us as a community to thrive, to be good and beautiful, if there is a middle point, if there is a, a launch point that we need to look at in order to get us to a place where we're not just normal, where we're not just like people, we're like people, but we're unlike anyone else. Y'all with me? I want us to be a peculiar people. And so today I want to share a story with you. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have never heard this story. Wherever you are, hang with me because it's going to tie into the end. I know you're like, where is he going with this? Just trust me. We're good to go. Okay? So it starts out with a man who um, just so happened to be a king, and his name was Xerxes. And Xerxes oversaw 127 different provinces. Could you imagine trying to control 127 different uh, heads of state? I mean, that would be pretty difficult. So what he did was he decided to have everybody come into his palace and into his kingdom. And he said, to show them how powerful I am and how much I rule over them, I'm going to throw a massive party. Now, I know you think that, like, having your family over for Christmas is a lot or having them over for Thanksgiving is a lot. But this dude threw a party for 180 days. Six months of straight partying. I don't know how you do that, but my goodness, I bet it was a good time. And so at the end, he realizes that, you know, hey, we need to cap this thing off. Uh, it was fun, but we need to really have some fun to cap this off. So he has this huge banquet. He calls all the officials in. He calls all the dignitaries in. He puts them up in these posh hotels, and they, they hang out, and they're overlooking the kingdom, and they're sipping on champagne, and it's a really good time. And so the next day, they come into the kingdom, and they're coming up to his palace, and he says, it's going to be like a Brazilian steakhouse. You come in. You put your plate on green. They're going to shave off the meat for you. And what's even better is when you just stand there with your cup, and you can drink all the wine you want. And when it empties out, you just nudge the servant next to you, and they're going to pour you another glass. I mean, you talk about benders. These people were on it for seven days straight. 
And so the king is like, this is a good time, but I really want people to know how good I have it. And so off in another room, his queen was throwing a little banquet, a little party, because queens weren't supposed to be in front of people. So she's hanging out in another room, hosting all the women. And the king sends some eunuchs, because he's really insecure, sends some eunuchs over to go and get this queen. You'll get that joke after you do some research on eunuchs. Goes over and gets the queen. And they tell her, they say, listen, the king would like for you to come and make a grand entrance. And they said, but there's one caveat. We, he would like for you to wear your crown. To let everybody know that you're queen. But he also wants people to know how beautiful you are. So you should only wear just your crown. And um, she looks at them and she, she knows that this is a disrespectful request. You see, she's the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So she grew up in royalty. She knows what she's supposed to do as a queen. She knows that what he's asking is too much. Her, her grandfather would never ask that of a woman. Maybe he would. I don't know. He was a pretty bad man. But anyway, they ask her. They say, you need to come in. They want to show the entire kingdom your beauty. And she looks at them. She looks at the eunuchs. And she says, no, I will not do that. So as you can imagine, this makes the king really upset. He gets, you know, pretty irate, and he kicks her out of the king, kingdom. Somebody told me that she was beheaded. I don't know who told me that, Jeannie, but um, somebody told me that, that she was beheaded. But I don't know. From my reading, she was just kicked out of the kingdom. And so what the king does next is he has all the virgins from the kingdom come in. And it's so cool. Ladies, you would love this. It's like spa year. He goes, he puts them through beauty treatment for over a year. So you come in. It's a nice way of saying you have potential. You're just not there yet. We need to put you through a whole year of beauty treatments. You come in, you get facials, you get your hair done, you get your manis and petties, all that stuff. And they do this for an entire year. Teach them how to eat, teach them how to drink in front of the, the king. And so after a year of beauty treatments, Man, they must have been some rough-looking women. Um, a year of beauty treatments. They come in and they stand in front of the king. And I've been told that there are other things that the king had to do in order to choose, but I'll let you figure that out on your own. But they stand in front of the king, and the king picks the most beautiful woman standing in front of him that he'd ever seen in his life. And he said, you are it. And her name was Esther. So Esther becomes this queen. And I know some of you know this story, and I probably can't tell it as well as you can, but... There's some twists and plots, and I know it can get a little bit long. When we get to the ending, you're going to be stoked, I promise you. you like, this is like a soap opera. So there's a few twists. Uh, Esther is Jewish, but they don't know that she's Jewish. And if the, the kingdom of Persia finds out that she's Jewish, there's a good chance she won't be Jewish for very long. And also, she has this wonderful uncle who adopted her, really nice guy named Mordecai, who stands out at this gate every day. And he's like the bouncer. He lets people in. He lets people out. He lets them come and go. And so he's standing at the gate. And they're throwing a banquet. for A lot of banquets going on. Throwing a new banquet for the new queen. And Mordecai is standing out at the gate. And there is this coup to overthrow and to kill King Xerxes. And Mordecai hears about it. So he goes back to Esther, and he says, hey, I just want to help you out, and I want to help the king out. There are these people who want to kill him, and would you just tell them for me? And so she goes back, and she tells the king, and he tells his servants, hey, I want you to write it down. On this date, Mordecai, this wonderful guy, helped me. He saved my life. They wrote it down. Hang on to that for just a second. 
a new character enters the story. I know, a lot of twists, a lot of plots. But a new guy, a new chief of staff comes in named Haman. This guy is a jerk. I don't know how else to say it. He's very arrogant, very rude, thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. And so he is walking one day by the gate that Esther's uncle, Mordecai, is hang- I know, a lot of characters, hanging out at. And all of the people around Mordecai start to bow down to this Haman dude. They're bowing down. And Mordecai just stands there. Like, this is my gate, dude. I'm not bowing down to you. And Haman gets really upset that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, wouldn't bow to him. So he gets this plan. He's like, I want to kill Mordecai, but not just Mordecai. I want to kill all of the Jews. So he goes to the king and he says, I want to kill all the Jews. I'm going to fund the whole thing. I'll pay for every slaughter and every Jew that dies. I'll pay for it all. I don't care. The king says, your wish is granted. Well, Mordecai, I don't know, he was like the rumor mill. Mordecai like had his ear to the ground all the time. Mordecai hears that, 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 that Haman is going to kill them. So he goes to, uh, to Esther and says, I got another request. Could you please just talk to the king for me? Because they're going to wipe out our entire nation. So this is where it gets really good. The king and the queen are eating together. And you would love this question, because I know I love this question. The king looks at her and says, if you could have anything you want, what would you want? She says, you know what would make me happy, 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 happy? Really, really happy? He says, please tell me. I'll give you anything. I want you to meet me for dinner tomorrow night. We'll do this again. It's been so good. We'll do it again. Okay. But there's one thing. I want you to invite this guy, your chief of staff. His name's Haman. Could you invite him to dinner tomorrow night? And king says, your wish is granted. So, it gets even better from here. Haman gets an invitation from the king, right? If you got an invitation from the president or somebody really important, you'd be name-dropping. And so Haman's going around name-dropping. Look, Esther, the king, they're inviting me to dinner. He's telling all his family and all of his friends, and he's bragging about where he's going tomorrow night for dinner. And they're excited for him. And then his friend Mordecai, who he can't stand, which, by the way, is Esther's uncle, uh, he sees him passing by, and he gets really angry. And he says... I'm going to kill that guy. And somebody said, you should build a 75-foot structure and then hang the dude on it. That would be really cool. She says, that's a great idea. Hey, before dinner tomorrow night, I'll go build this structure. We'll kill the guy. That'd be awesome. So that night, while the king is sleeping, you're with me now. Y'all with me? The king is sleeping, and he senses that something is wrong. He wakes up in a panic, and he senses that something is wrong. And he tells his servants, I want you to go get the books from the last year, and I just want you to read to me. Just like Phantom of the Opera. Read to me. Some of you will get that, who have been to the Phantom of the Opera. And so the servants start reading, and they get to this point in this story over the events of the last year, and they say, there was this guy named Mordecai who, by the way, saved your life. And the king says, has his life been celebrated? Have we ever thanked him for that? Servants say, I don't think so. So he says, do me a favor, go get Haman. Haman comes in, Haman stands in front of him, and and the king says to him, hey, if there was somebody who saved your life, what would you do? And it's so funny, because Haman thinks that he's talking about him. So he says, well, I would get a big white horse, 
and I would have a big parade with everybody lined up, and we'd throw candy, and it would be a great time, and we'd sing their praises, and the king says, that's a great idea. I want you to go get Mordecai. I want you to put him on a horse, and I want you personally to take him around town so everybody can sing his praises. So Haman takes this guy around town, Esther's uncle, and they're celebrating him, and he's angry, and he's thinking about, I can't wait till I hang this dude from the gallows outside of my house. Well, that night at dinner, this is where it really gets good. Haman, the queen, the king, they're all eating dinner, and they're enjoying their choice wine, their fine wine, and the king asks the question, okay, I've been asking you for the last three or four times we've gotten together, what is it? You want, she says, you know what would make me really, really, really happy? Happy, happy, happy. She said, there is somebody in this kingdom who is trying to wipe out my nation. Wait a minute. My na- wait, aren't you, like the king is confused. My nation, what are you talking about? And it dawns on the king that his queen, who is helping him rule Persia, is not, is not from their descent. She's Jewish. And you could see it on his face. He begins to look at her, and he's staring at her like, how could I miss this? How could I, how could I miss this? And he looks at her, and he says, who was it? And she said, this guy sitting right here eating all your good food, it's him. So the king gets really upset, and he takes the table, and he overthrows it. I don't know if that's true. I just made it up, but it sounded good. So he throws the table over, and he walks out. And when he walks out, Haman gets down on one knee to Esther, and he's like, please, don't kill me. Don't let the king kill me. Don't let him kill me. Well, the king walks back in, and he sees, I love this, he sees a guy who was pleading for his life but was really hitting on his wife. Hitting on his queen. And this really threw the king into a rage. You walked in, somebody's, you know, kneeling at your wife's feet, you'd be pretty upset too. So he's upset and he says, I don't know what to do with this guy. And so some dude from the third row or the, the you know, the, the grassy knoll is over there and he says, hey, there's this big old gallows. I can see it from here. It's like 70 feet Five, 75 t- feet tall. We should, we should hang Haman on it. And the king says, that's a great idea. So they take Haman over to his own gallows that he built. They hang the dude on his own gallows in front of his own house, in front of all of his friends. And the best part is Mordecai, Esther's uncle, gets promoted to Haman's spot. And the story goes, that's it. It was awesome. It was so cool. Bada bing, bada boom. What a great story. Guy gets promoted. You know, it's, it's just amazing story. And you're saying, what does that have to do with today? That's a good question. I have to wonder that. But Haman says something in this story that captures for us what was different about these people. I want you to hear what he says. In the middle of this story, he says to the king, there is a what? A peculiar A peculiar set of people. There are people like us, but they're unlike us. There's a peculiar set of people scattered throughout the provinces of your kingdom who don't fit in here. 
And I've been wrestling with this story. Like, what does this have to do with being peculiar? And then I just came up with this. It's all about, and it's not going to make sense when I tell you right away, but I'm going to explain it in a second. Peculiar is about identical difference. Peculiar is about identical difference. And here's what I mean. When I was growing up as a kid, I had a doctor who performed surgery on my wife or my, or my mom, and um, they introduced me to their son. His name was Seth. Well, he just happened to have two twin brothers named Lee and Jay. And I remember when I first met Seth, and I went over there, and I met the, the two twins, Lee and Jay. It was like they looked alike. They talked alike. Their eyes looked the same. Their heads looked the same. Their haircuts were the same. They walked. They ran. They did everything exactly alike, and I could never tell them apart. Are you Lee or are you Jay? Are you Jay or are you Lee? could never tell them apart. But over time, I could see that people that were identical, people that looked the same initially, had something different about them. Jay's face was a little skinnier, and Lee's, Lee had a little bit bigger build than Jay. And, and I remember I would be able to tell them apart, but I wasn't able to tell them apart quickly. It wasn't like something that was blatantly obvious, like something that is odd or weird. Trying to tell identical twins apart is peculiar because you have to stop, and you have to look at them, and you have to go, hmm, is that Lee or is that Jay? Does Jay have the round head or does Lee have the round head? Does Lee have the big body or does Jay have the, I can't remember which one is which. And even though I had been with them for time, there were many times where I still couldn't tell them apart, even, knew that, even though I knew that they were different. They were very similar, but there was something different about them, an identical difference. And when we look at the story of Esther, it is laced with this idea of identical difference. Let's just start with the obvious. In this entire story, there is not one mention of God's name. Not one. And this is a time where gods were named after what they did. But in this story, this God's not named, and we know that he is still at work. Peculiar. You know what's peculiar about God? Is he looks like a God, he smells like a God. We can put him in the category of gods, but he is unlike any other God we've ever seen before. He doesn't need to be named, and he's still at work. When we look at Esther's life, she was Jewish, and they didn't know that she was Jewish. She was a queen, but she was unlike any other queen. And through her, through her, God continued his redemptive story of making a nation, a peculiar people, a blessing to the world. And when I think about the people that Haman calls peculiar, they lived in Persia, they ate in Persia, they built homes, they had gardens, they worked, they sold stuff, they raised kids there, they did everything there. And yet he notices about them. They look like everyone else, but they're unlike everyone else. Identical difference. Something peculiar. And I want to ask you today, what does it look like for us to be a peculiar people? What does it look, for, look like for us to live out of identical difference? See, I wonder, I've been thinking, what does it look like for someone who is retired to live unlike everybody else who is retired? Who doesn't look like they're tired of doing important things in life? What does it look like for a student to go into school and to be a student, but to be unlike every other student that's there? 
What does it look like for a parent who has screaming kids who will disobey you and are annoying at times and ask you 300 questions? What does it look like for a parent to be like parents but be unlike every other parent? I don't know if you know this, but we take our cue from a guy named Jesus, who, by the way, spent 30 years of his life looking like a normal person. He ate, he breathed, he lived, he worked as a carpenter. He did everything that everyone else did, yet he was unlike every other person in life. And he changed the face of history for you and changed it for me. He was like a human, but he was unlike any other human. I can't answer that question for you. Often we tell you what that looks like for you. You're going to have to figure it out. I'm going to let you do your own homework this week. How can you be peculiar in your own community? How, be, how can you be peculiar in your own life? But the bigger question that I want us to wrestle with and what this whole series is geared around is, what does it look like for us to be a peculiar people? It's so funny, often people will ask me what I do, and I say, oh, I help organize a nonprofit. I don't want to tell them I'm a pastor because they stop being themselves immediately after I tell them I'm a pastor. So I just say, I help run a nonprofit. And they say, well, what do you do? Well, we just help people. That's what we do. And they say, well, eventually people will ask me, and I'll get to find I'm a pastor, and, you know, it's like, you know, cat's out of the bag, whatever. And they say, well, where do you pastor? And I say, oh, I'm at the church on Brick, Brick Street next to the fire department. And you know what they say to me? I have driven by that church for years, and I've never been in there. And I don't know why it bugs me so much, but it bugs me. And I would say this to you. What does it look like for us to be a church, but to be unlike any other church? What's it going to take for us as a people, as a body, when it comes to our thinking and the way we want things? What is it going to take for us to be a peculiar people that people no longer drive by, but they want to participate in this beautiful thing that we have going on right here? Like, what is it going to take for us to be peculiar, for people to say, that's the kind of life that I want? Man, they look like other people, but man, there's just something different about them. I want to close with this. Some of the most influential people in my life who were CEOs and CEOs of companies, some of my mentors, one of the things that I love about them is when you meet them, they look like normal people. You would never know that they're CEOs. They don't have big suits on and they don't look all tough. And they don't. You would never know that they are CEOs of companies. But when you sit down and you begin to talk with them and they begin to share their life experiences, there is something about them that draws you in. That makes me say, help me, under help me understand. Jeannie will tell you, that's my favorite question. Help me understand. Hey, if, if you were me, what would you do? And the wisdom, they would never flaunt it out there for you to know. They look like average people, but they were unlike everyone I ever knew in my life. And I wonder, what is it going to take for us to get there? So here's what I want you to do this week. We're going to close with this, and then we're going to go to baptisms. I don't want us to do things individually. We've done that over the course of this year. You know, go do something nice for somebody. Give somebody a pat on the back. I want us to practice these things over the next eight weeks together. 
So it's going to take some planning on your part, but here's what I want from you. This week, I want you to do something peculiar that's sort of out of the ordinary, but it's not extremely like weird or odd. Come on, don't freak people out. I'm not challenging you to, to be weird or odd. I just want you to be peculiar, but I also don't want you to be normal. So here's what I want you to do. Maybe get with some of your small group people, and maybe you decide there are people that need some help. Maybe in our church, or maybe somebody that you know at work, and maybe just go to the grocery as a, as a small group or community group, and just go drop food off at their house. If you're like me and you like Starbucks because it's way better than Dunkin' Donuts, I don't know whoever invented that stuff, but it's disgusting. Um, if you're like me and you like Starbucks, let's gather your small group together. Let's, hey, let's each pitch in $25 and let's just stand here and let's just pay for people's coffee until we run out. Could you imagine? We don't need to say where we're from or what we're doing, but if you just stood there, hey, we'll, we'll grab that cup of coffee for you. Or maybe we just said, the next $100 that are spent here is on us. And we just watch people for the rest of the day. We don't tell them that we did it peculiar, something peculiar. I, I don't know, even this. When I go to the gym, I always see people with headphones in. I'm, I'm one of them too. But, you know, even at work or school or wherever we go, people always have headphones in. And that's cool. I love music. That's great. Um, but I wonder what it would look like if a few of us together just said, let's just take these out for a minute and let's just ask people, hey, how's your day going? By the way, that's a peculiar thing. You ever just ask somebody how they're doing? How many people ask you how you're doing in your day? Probably not very many. But I want us to begin to do this as a community. And even more, I want you to dream. I want you to dream what this church could look like if we were peculiar. What is it going to take? What are we going to have to change? What are we going to have to agree on? And how are we going to have to learn to love each other? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that you are challenging us to become a good and beautiful community. I pray that you would use us in every way. And that these simple acts of love with our small groups or with our friends would in some way speak to other people and say, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder why they're doing that. What's different about that? I pray that you would help us not to be normal, but I pray that you would help us also not be really weird in our faith. But I want us to be so captivating that people would look at us and say, something beautiful about that, and I want it. Lord, that's our prayer today. And in Jesus' name we pray.